you guys have probably heard the story. Matter of fact, you've probably not only heard it once or twice, you've probably heard it many, many times. But you heard about the guy who uh, felt he needed some kind of guidance from the Bible and he's looking for God's will. So he just opens it up and uh, just at random, he closes his eyes and sticks his finger down on a verse and he reads it. And of course, we know what it says. It says, Judas went out and hanged himself. Uh, you, you heard that before, right? And so he thought, oh no, that can't be God's will. And so he did it one more time and you know, takes the Bible, goes like that. And this time, you know what it said? Go thou and do likewise. That's exactly right. And he says, that can't be God's will. That cannot be. I'll I'll try it one more time. Right? And, uh, of course, he did. And and, um, we know that it's not a laughing matter about that, but yet it's so frequently people look for God's will and just open up the Bible and don't know where to turn. Whatever it says, well, that must be God's will. And... um, we realize that the Word of God has to be studied, has to be handled accurately. We want clear understanding for it. And um, Spurgeon said if we don't spend in diligent study, if we don't take time to have diligent study in the Word of God, we get poverty-stricken churches. Poverty-stricken churches. So we want to take the Bible seriously here, don't we? And we know that that is the rule of our life. It is our lives, right? The Word of God that resides in us. And we're in the book of 2 Timothy, and we continue in that study. This whole chapter is really helping us to understand how we are to be disciplined as Christians, how we are to really be hard workers in serving the Lord. And we saw that in a lot of different pictures, whether it be the athlete or the soldier or the farmer, um, different illustrations that we have seen, you know, how hardworking they are, how disciplined they are. And we know the whole motivation of it all is what we have looked at in the last couple of weeks where it was uh, in, what, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. So we can do all those things. We can be that that teacher. We can be the strong man. We can be the soldier, the athlete, the farmer because we look at Christ. He is the focus on it all. Remember Jesus Christ who died for your sins. Is there a better motivation? You know, and, and of course we, uh, we looked at that. And then last week we uh, carried that a little bit further when it talked about if we died with Him, we'll also live with Him. And not only will we live with Him, uh, but we will reign with Him. Uh, as we endure through this Christian life. We'll reign with Him forever. So today we're going to look at another illustration. As we saw Christ in the middle of these illustrations, now we look at uh, another one. We're just going to do one today. Uh, God's Word is so precious, it's, it's a treasure. And so we have to have workmen who handle the Word. And really that is spoken first to Timothy here as he is to be a workman. But then we realize that pastors are workmen in the Word of God. But we just don't leave it with there because we're all to be workmen in the Word of God. That means to read, to study, to meditate, think on it, and then put it into your life and use it. Because if we just think on it and put it in our mind and then don't do it, it is no good. We must be able to use it in our lives. 
So we want to understand the Word correctly so that it will produce in us the very work of God who is in us working it in and we work it out. And so we're held responsible to this God, this great Creator, to read His Word and to understand it and to uh, think it, to live it, and give it. That's where the, the last part of it is. Once you understand it and you put it in your own life, now you are to give it. Because He's the one who gave it to you. And so it's just an endless cycle and uh, that's how it works. So as we're in this uh, epistle in chapter 2 today, uh, we see that Paul is writing to Timothy. We've seen that all along in the Second Timothy. And he is calling him to hold to the truth, to be faithful to it, and pass it on to the next generation. Pass it on to uh, other men, uh, to other people, um, young men. Paul has been calling him to be faithful as a servant of the Lord. So first of all, it's written to Timothy. And it's at a very vulnerable time for Timothy because uh, there are false teachings. There are people that are abandoning the faith. Uh, It's quite a challenge from the world. It's quite a challenge from inside the church. And Paul happens to be in prison. And Paul is going to be persecuted or martyred. will be killed. And so when you think about that, Timothy is uh, backing up a little bit. And uh, Paul is really concerned about him. Make sure your mind is set right, Timothy, and do not distort this truth or let anybody do it. So what Paul, via the Holy Spirit, wrote to Timothy 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit impresses upon our hearts today, sitting in this room, as God is going to teach us, through His Holy Spirit, through His Word, He's going to teach us to understand that God's Word is a part of our lives. It is our lives. It is the very life, isn't it? The Word is not just knowledge, but it is the inward change that is in us that's being worked to lead us to further godliness. Because we're not there yet. We've just begun. So today we're going to see two major points. Not three, not four, not ten sometimes as I have. Just two. Two points. And you're going to think, oh, are we going to get out of here early or what? Two points. Why don't we stand? <laughs> Open our Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 14, and we'll read up through 19. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth but Avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, 
The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your truth, Your Word. May it truly speak to us here today. May we take these words that maybe we have read and heard many times. May they be fresh to us. May they be new to us. May they not just be something just idly passes by, but we can say, wow, God, You're speaking to me here. Help me to be faithful. Help me to handle Your Word correctly. Help me to live it out. Help me to get it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we go to 2 Timothy. We go to chapter 2. We go to verse 14. We go right there. That text we just read. And I think it's a valuable text for us here today. He starts off with remind them of these things. Why does he say remind them? We always need to remember. Matter of fact, uh, the Greek word has uh, mimnos in there. That's how we get our word memory. Remind. Well, we are to remember um, these things. And, and he says remind them. Who are the them? Well, it can be the whole of the congregation that uh, he's writing to. And it could be to the faithful men that he talked to as the word of God is being entrusted uh, as in verse 2. And um, we know that um, it, it can be speaking to us today all throughout the, uh, the centuries. Remind them of these things. So the next thing is we ask, well, what things? And as you're reading the Bible, that's a good thing to do is ask questions. Okay, he's remind them. Okay, I think I know what that is. These things. What things? Well, usually you can just back up in previous verses and you'll find the answer to that. And uh, I think first of all it would be verses um, 11, 12, and 13. I think that would be safe to say where he says if we died with Him we'll live with Him and if we endure we'll also reign with Him. Okay? That's easy. If we are believers we're trusting in Him and we're not denying Him and, and we live with Him. He, Christ is in us and we're in Him, right? And if that be the case I mean, he divides it up. That's believers, okay? And then you have the other ones who deny him, he'll deny them. The ones who are faithless, and uh, God will still be faithful to his truth. Um, so that would be these things. I think you could back up even further and take the chapter 2, for instance. I think you could see where he talked about the strong man, he talked about the teacher, the uh, athlete, the. Um, the soldier, the farmer. They talk about Jesus Christ rising from the dead, you know, dying for sins, rising from the dead, and that if we trust in Him and for that, then He's going to save His elect. And the ones who do not trust in Him, He will deny them, right? I, I think it could definitely be that. And I think that it can be the whole of the, the gospel, too, which is really kind of stated in, in about Jesus Christ risen from the dead and died for our sins, and right. So all the things that Paul has been writing about, I think you could even put in in that sense the totality of the gospel. Remind them of these things. Keep doing that. That's what we do at, at church all the time, isn't it? Don't we remind each other that we are forgiven and that God forgives us of our sins because of Jesus Christ? You know the simple gospel that is so profound. We need to be reminding ourselves of that and uh, reminding that we uh, need to be responsible. We need to be disciplined. 
we need to be working hard as a laborer. And so that's, that's the idea that uh, he's talking about, these, uh, these things. The power of the Word of God, the Gospel ministry. So to remind them of these things, what are we doing? We're just taking this, breaking it apart, aren't we? And that's how you can get an understanding of God's Word. You say, sometimes I don't, I don't understand it. Well, good. Because uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear those others because I have to dig in there and find out what it is too. <laughs> just like anybody else. Or any teacher does. Any person does. Any Christian has to... You know, you can get a basic understanding, but you have to be able to dig to get what is the depth. And I love the depth of the Word of God. I don't like the little shallow thing that's up here because what would be the use of meeting every week if we just proclaimed the simple Gospel and gave an invitation at the end of the 15-minute message? (laughs) There's depth here. And there always is. And we only hit the tip of the surface. That's the thing. This is eternal. And we'll continue to learn the Word of God for eternity. God speaks. He says next, solemnly charge them. Solemnly charge them. I think that's kind of fascinating. Matter of fact, uh, you might have the word command. It means command. Dia martyrumai. And that word actually, martyr, is really testify. Testify. Testify to these things. Testify to that. Give a witness to these things. Remind them. Matter of fact, it even goes further than that, though, because it's a command. He's not saying, oh, remind them of these things and pleasantly, gently give them an option of whether they want to believe it or not. You know, it's an option. You know, possibility. It's a, I suge- just suggest to them, you know. No, he says, command them solemnly in the presence of God. They're not to wrangle about the, the Word. So, there's a positive, there's a negative. Solemnly charge in the presence, not to wrangle about words. The positive says, here's what to do, and the negative says, here's what not to do. <laughs> Simple as that. Call them to duty with a sense that they are in the presence of God. Take this seriously. That is uh, the idea. You make them sure that they are commanded. That they are charged. That they are in the presence of God. Boy, that will get things right. A proper fear of God. Take this seriously. It's intended to put fear in the heart. And what we're going to do is we're going to cover a few verses that deal with Paul giving commands. I solemnly charge you, Timothy. And you solemnly charge them, Timothy. And so if he solemnly charged back then, it's the same thing saying to us, I solemnly charge you. And and you solemnly charge others. Right? Wow. Uh, go to chapter 5 of First Timothy. Just back a few pages. First Timothy 5, 21. And let's look at this charging <laughs> that uh, Paul does here. And it's not a credit card. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. Wow. And of Christ Jesus. Take this seriously. And of His chosen angels. (laughs) What? To maintain these principles without bias, 
doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. There he's been talking about the laborer is uh, worthy of his wages, honor the elders and such. So he charges uh, that. We move on in the same epistle. You go to chapter 6, verse 13. 1 Timothy 6.13 and again we're going to have a I charge you in the presence of God what does that mean? Take it seriously. Who gives life to all things? Oh, that's right. He is the Creator after all, isn't He? That means we are accountable to Him. You know what? I've come to the conclusion that people who are not believers really do not want to realize that He gives life to all things. So therefore, we will say that God does not create. And He's a figment of my imagination. I need to wipe Him out of my mind. If I take the Creator out of my mind, or He can exist, but He can't exist as the Creator, because if He's the Creator, I'm accountable to Him. And the people do not want to account to a God that is much bigger than them who created them and then commands them to repent. They don't want that. Who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the next epistle now, chapter 4, the one we are in today, that epistle. Um, 2 Timothy 4.1 Oh, here we go again. Do you see something in common? I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus And this time he says, look at this, if the other ones didn't get your attention, who is to judge the living and the dead? And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. (laughs) That's what you do. You don't preach anything else, but you preach the word. Not Not stories. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, and He is the judge of the living and the dead. He's not only the Creator, but He also judges. Wow, all of these are really serious. All the Word of God is serious, isn't it? But man, when He says, I solemnly charge, take notice to that. So He says it several times here, doesn't He? There's a pattern. You see, you see Paul is concerned about Timothy. Timothy could slide. It's easy to do in this world with all the pressures, afflictions and such. I solemnly charge you. Now what we're going to do, we've looked at Paul's writing. Now what we're going to do is look in the Old Testament and we're going to talk about the presence of God. Do you like that? I'm in the presence of God today. You are in the presence of God today. Of course, every day you are in the presence of God. What makes it sweet today is that we're all together in the presence of God as we gather together. We look in Psalm 68.2. We're gathered around His Word. You know what? He likes this. He really enjoys this. matter of fact, you know what? He takes pleasure when people come to worship Him and just read what He's already written (laughs) and then kind of talk about it. He really loves that kind of thing. So in Psalm 68, verse 2, David wrote this. It says, 
as smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God or in the presence of God. At the presence of God, some versions will read. So right there, the presence of God is talking about, he's talking about the wicked perishing. I mean, that's uh, quite the event there, isn't it? In the presence of God. How seriously we take that presence of God. Look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. 3, 8, Genesis. Oh, Genesis 3, that's the sin of man. That's where sin started. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from what? The presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now really, they were still in the presence of God, but they thought they were getting away from Him. In the human sense, they were, but yet God knew exactly where they were at. And when He asked the question, where are you? Do you think God was saying, oh my, I've lost, I don't know where they're at. I've got to find out. You know, they're hiding. You know, don't we hide sometimes from God? How about when we have just sinned? We should run right to Him and confess it, but sometimes we like to put it off. And put it off. Then we, I mean, we have a guilty conscience. We have the Holy Spirit. I mean, does that happen to us? Come on, yeah, it does. You can say, well, I thought I was the only one. That happens. But but he he wants us to keep a short list of sins. That means go right to him. Go confess it. Repent. Uh, but they hit out. That's that's the nature of uh, of that. And uh, of course, man men have sinned. Uh, but they want to get away from the presence of God because they knew. They had done something that was against His will. Um, Psalm 97, verse 5. Go to the Psalms again. 97, 5. The presence of God is mentioned frequently throughout the Bible, isn't it? The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. (laughs) He's not only Lord, but the whole earth. Matter of fact, the next verse talks about the heavens declaring His righteousness. And all the peoples have seen His glory. All of creation. Everything. At the presence of the Lord. He's Lord of all creation. We're in the presence of this Creator. Psalm 114, verse 7. Isn't it great to be in the presence of God? But if one does not acknowledge God, they do not want to be in the presence of the Lord. Do you see the fear that is mentioned whenever it's connected with the presence of the Lord? But we should enjoy and bask in the presence of the Lord as Christians. One fourteen verse 7, Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, or in the presence of the Lord, before the God of Jacob. Tremble. O earth before the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. Second Thessalonians 1 9. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. One day they will be out of the presence of God in one sense. As it says there, they're punished everlasting destruction. They are away from the presence of the Lord, and that's quite the judgment, isn't it? So, did, did we run that one pretty ragged there? Did we tire that one out? We could go on, but I think we made our point. 
I solemnly charge you. And then in the presence of God, presence of the Lord, we are in the presence. That wakes one up. And he's doing that because as we look at this text, and like I say, there's only two parts. And this one is talking about the ones who are handling the Word of God and are ungodly. See, there's two ways to handle God's Word. Ungodly way or in a godly way. It will produce ungodliness if one one can take the Bible and turn out to be ungodly. Or one can take the Bible and turn out to be godly. That's really what Paul is uh, uh, putting forth in this text today, as as we outline it here anyway. Okay, um, so they're in the presence of the Lord, and what are they doing? Well, here's what you don't do, Timothy. Don't wrangle about words. Kind of reminds me of that blue jean. Wranglers. Wranglers. <laughs> Cowboys and such. Don't wrangle. What, what's the idea of this word wrangling about words? Uh, words, uh, usually you see the word logos. In the beginning with the word logos. Logo, and that's, that's part of the word here. Logo, logo, logo. Logomachia. Logomachia. It means to have a war of words. Ah, they're over there wrangling about it. They're having a war. A war with words. Oh, that's easy to understand, isn't it? Wrangling about words. A war with words. It's a kind of battle that, you know, there's an attack on the simple truth of Scripture with a little bit of sophistication. Some kind of a sophisticated philosophy that actually attacks the Word of God. Now you have a war. Rationalizing of man. And they take the pure truth of Scripture and they twist it into something it does not even mean. How many times have you seen that? Just playing fast and loose with Scripture. And every time we go into God's holy word, we need to remember this is God and His holy word. He is speaking to me, and I must never misuse this word. I want to be faithful with this word. Look in First Timothy chapter one, verse six. First Timothy one six. For some men, straying from these things, the very instruction, Word of God, having turned aside to fruitless discussion. They take certain words or certain types of pet doctrines or something and they turn it into something that is not even meant and it turns into a useless, fruitless discussion. You've taken the power and the meaning of God's truth there and um, it's into something else. Uh, turn to 1 Timothy 1. I did 6, right? How about chapter 6, verse 3? 3 through 5. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine of 
doctrine conforming to godliness, if they don't conform to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has, a look at this, a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy and strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. It's all about the money. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment rather than seeking after really the money is what it was about. So there you you have again uh, the false teachers. Look in the same chapter, verse 20 and 21, right at the end of the, the chapter there in 1 Timothy 6. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, this great deposit, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. By the way, grace be with you. (laughs) End of the letter. Guard the faith. Last thing he says to Timothy in that epistle, you guard the faith. I want to tell you, there's people out there that think they have knowledge and they're offering all sorts of things and they they might even be naming the name of Jesus Christ and they might even say, yeah, we read the Bible. And you find out they have all sorts of different beliefs that are certainly not true. And this is how the church, the church has become so weak in the Scripture today, the body of Christ, that you can go to a lot of places today where there would be a lot of people that would believe in theistic evolution. And a lot of these people would be educated people. (laughs) They've gone to college. And they've gone on and they've gotten their doctor's degree and such. And surely science must be right. So we have to take the Bible and make it agree with science. So therefore, I believe in evolution, but God was in the evolution as it had evolved. Theistic evolution, there's no such thing. That is a made up word. That's That's a big lie. A huge lie. And that is believed definitely in our schools. That is the theology in the schools. And in the churches today who have bought that idea. And, uh, you know, the, the denial of God working in six literal days, as recorded in Genesis. The work of God that was done. A miraculous God who creates and does it, and then He says it and tells us, how he did it and when he did it. I just can't believe he would do that. I've heard those same people finally say, well, you know, some of those miracles are just a little bit uh, unbelievable. And they'll start taking the old, old stories. Jonah, how could could he live in a fish? You, You go one after another after another. How about the resurrection? All of a sudden, they don't even believe in a resurrection. And that's what we're leading up to here in 2 Timothy here too because there were teachers that weren't really teaching the resurrection right. The central focus, the very they hit the heart of the gospel. And finally they turn into cults. These false teachers. They were in Ephesus. Boy, were they in Ephesus. That's what Paul is so concerned about. Put yourself into Timothy's place and you're getting this epistle. And you go, yeah, I, I know about that. Paul's heard about it. 
telling me, you better watch these guys. That's how the church got to be where it is today. A slippery slope. And once there's a little bit of doubt of the Word of God, they can start doubting everything. It just sounds like anything there just sounds a little bit unbelievable. Matter of fact, all of Christianity sounds kind of unbelievable, doesn't it? The whole story, the whole gospel story. Adam and Eve, all those couldn't have been two real people. And how do we have history that goes back there? We know that uh, man was a gorilla or a monkey first before this. And so Adam must have been a monkey or something. I don't know. I don't know what they're saying. Just absolutely ridiculous. Do you know what? Anytime you use the Bible, you want it to grow in you, in your knowledge and understanding, and you want it to never to be apart from godliness. Because we start taking stuff out and make it a spiritualize into something else, then really we're starting to justify our own sins. One of the worst things you can do is distort God's truth. And now it makes way to, to justify to do some of the things that we know that would have been wrong. So that's why people do that. Or there's a puffing up. There can be a pride in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, puffing up with a supposed knowledge. Paul told Timothy here a falsely called knowledge. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 um, warns people about head knowledge. Now concerning things, sacrificed idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant but love edifies. Now, he's, are, is he saying there that we should not have knowledge as Christians? No, we're supposed to have all sorts of knowledge. It's all there. He's talking about the knowledge that ends up and stays here. You can have all the right knowledge. You can have right doctrine, but if it is not lived out, it is worth nothing. You become arrogant. He says, here's what it is. It's love that you want to produce. You take that knowledge and you produce it into love for others. As you live that out. So we want to grow in knowledge, but also with godliness. You know, to to know God truly is to know His majesty. It's to know His holiness. How godly He really is. Uh, The supremacy. The awesomeness of Him. That's what it is. When you get out of the Bible, here's what you want to go for. Two things. Remember this, just two things. And this even goes back to the Reformation and Calvin mentioned. Know God. Number two, know yourself. God is holy. I am not. Now he says, be ye holy for I am holy. As we seek Him and His holy, we do become conformed to Him. Right? But He is the God. Right? And so I, when I go into His Word, I want Him to teach me about Him. And I want Him to show me my sin and where I fall short of His great glory. Because one of these days, I will be glorified and being able to worship Him even more. (laughs) I want Him to show me that. So we want to be careful how we misinterpret it. We don't go in there to make ourselves look good and you can say, wait a minute, wrangling about words, does that mean then doctrine is not important? See, I always thought it was good if people didn't go around just being talking about those particular, those things are too deep and we should just, you know, read it and then don't think about it. We shouldn't be doing anything else. 
uh, he's not saying that at all. You know, he's talking about uh, taking particular words and twisting them. Truth matters, doesn't it? It does matter. We are to defend it. We are to guard it. And that's why he's been saying that to Timothy all along. But there are people who like to make intellectual banter with you just to be either challenging you to maybe get into Scripture better because whatever he's saying, I know it's not right, but I can't even, I can't hold a candle to this guy. You know, you can if you have the truth, but maybe you don't want to get into a war with him and let, you know, these things that he's saying absolutely are, are, are horrible doctrine. Taking obscure points of doctrine that don't even mean what they're saying and it really doesn't make any sense. Uh, they like to prove their superior intelligence. I remember, I, I've used this before, but I remember one guy came in. Man, he was a talkative guy and you could tell he had been reading Scripture. He knew the Greek. He knew the Hebrew. Man, and his... He just went like this. His tongue was flapping and flapping. I stood there for five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes. I haven't said a word. I've looked at him in the face, and he kept on going and going and going. And he and he went into like uh, certain history and certain science. Kind of got away from scripture, and it's a twenty-five minutes, thirty minutes. And man, I am worn out. I'm ready to go home. This guy just just you know, please, would you stop? I'm hearing the phone ring. Oh, great. And so I get, and, and Zach is in the back. I say, hey, Zach, can you, can you help me out here? <laughs> Zach knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I didn't return. Uh, Zach did real well. I looked from the window in, in the office, just, <laughs> and Zach was like this. And I look about ten minutes later, and Zach was like this. The guy was looking at, and he wouldn't let you look somewhere else. You know, I got something to do. I mean, he wanted your, t- and he was just showing how intelligent he was. And he had great big words. He was saying things. I'm sure he didn't even know what he was saying. <laughs> what? I'm, I understood the cause of purgatory for about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> you said it well right there. <laughs> yeah, it went on that long, literally. How a man can just keep on talking. And I don't think he took a breath. I mean, it. I've never heard such a thing. I couldn't understand anything. Huh? It was almost impressive. Yeah. If he... You know what? Man, did he have knowledge. I don't think he knew anything what it really meant. It's sad. He's telling about his military days and how he was a commander and all this and that. But he'd go back and he'd start wrangling about words. You know, it was in the you knew that it was a lot, that, that was just horrible stuff. Would you stop for a moment? He wasn't going to. And there was no, there was no wrangling here because you didn't, you know, there was no contest. Theological debates. It's good to debate Scripture amongst Christians. We're here to, sh- iron sharpens iron. God's Scripture it needs to be talked about. There's going to be things that we don't necessarily agree on. Certain little things that are not primary doctrines. Every one of us agree on the primary doctrines. And some of those are big and they're, huge. they're really huge. They're foundational. They're called fundamentals. Now that word is a nasty word today. Ooh, he's a fundamentalist. But that used to mean at the turn of the 20th century, back in the 1900s, it was a good thing because they had to lay down what are the foundational truths of Scripture. Like Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. 
and Him resurrecting, and this is the Word of God, and it's inerrant, and it's complete, it's authoritative, right? Uh, all of those things. Uh, Jesus is God. There is a heaven. There is a hell. Those are foundational things we cannot disagree on whatsoever. And then there are other doctrines that are called secondary issues that are very important, and I think it's good for the church to discuss that. We all arrived here from different backgrounds and different understandings, and so we get to discuss these things, and we don't get mad at each other, and we don't wrangle about the words. We say, I see how you're coming from there. Let me check that out. Or, I, have, I don't understand it that way. Here's the way that I understand it. So we go through Scripture, and we may come to a conclusion that, hey, this is debatable. Or we may come to a conclusion saying, huh, I need to read this further. I'll check into this. And that's good. That is healthy for Christians to do. But there are things that are unhealthy. And he says, don't even be getting into that. Things that they would be talking about. That was neither here nor there. And you know what that kind of stuff does? The useless stuff leads to the ruin of the hearers. The ruin. You ever heard of the word catastrophe? You know what the Greek word is? Katastrophe. <laughs> That's easy to remember, isn't it? Guess how we got our English word? It means to overturn, to subvert to upset, to overthrow. It it can overthrow the hearers, ruin them, bring them to destruction. We're talking about unbelievers, really. And it, it can take believers and they can go on a route too that's wrong. He says, hey, that's really dangerous. That's why a pastor has to be a shepherd of the sheep because he doesn't want to see somebody ruined. And it really uh, affects everybody, doesn't it? Nobody likes to see somebody be taken down the wrong road, the ruin of the hearers. It's the opposite of edification. It, it doesn't build up, does it? It ruins them. Uh, it can ruin a soul. Eternal damnation into eternal hell. Well, that is verse 14. What we're going to do, by the way, we're going we're gonna to jump verse 15. I know you're starting to wonder. Oh, you're going to skip a verse, aren't you? Yeah, for the moment. We'll come back to that because uh, Paul gave us the two and then he comes back to number one again. And so rather than going into part two yet, because I have extra notes here. We, we're going to miss 15 for a moment. We'll come back, jump over to verse 16. But avoid worldly and empty chatter. See where he's been talking about? For it will lead to further ungodliness. Ruin. Ungodliness. There is an improper way to interpret Scripture. The ungodly way. He says here in 16, a worldly, empty chatter. Worldly means permitted to be trod underfoot here, the Greek word. It actually means to be profane, to be 
unholy. Every day use trafficking lightly in the things of God. Matter of fact, it can be for worldly gain, as we've seen in Timothy. <clears throat> That's what they're doing all this about for a, a worldly gain. The health wealth heresy that's out and about in the last century. It's a very blatant form of it all because it's about money. It's about millions of dollars. Millions of dollars these super ministries are bringing in. And do you really hear them teaching the Word of God? Or do you teaching them, or is it teaching people how to help yourself? How to gain what you want in life well, it's nice to have a comfortable life. It's nice to have those things. But is that what the Gospel is about? God can bless us and He does bless us. My, He's blessed us. Everybody got here today by traveling in a car. You've got how many changes of clothes? I bet you can't count them. If you have more than one set of clothes, you are rich compared to the world's standards. Food, you don't have any trouble eating food of the morning, of uh, noon, at night, extra food, drink, water. I mean, you've got it all. And that's a, that's a great thing in a, think, in a sense that, hey, God has blessed us with those. I'm glad I can use it. I'm not going to feel guilty about it. The next time I drink a glass of water and, and somebody reminds me there's somebody over there in Africa that doesn't have water. Yeah, but I have water here I can drink. I can't get it to them. You know, we need to be thinking and praying for them and, and helping them out in ways that we can financially or whatever, but I'm, that's still not going to take the joy out of the things that God has given me here because I understand a sovereign God. So it's okay to use these things, but it's not my life and I'm not here to get rich. The health wealth gospel is about getting rich. You, too, can have this airplane that I have. You just have to believe it that you can get that. And you send in all the money to me and God will bless you because you do that. Uh, It's about worldly success. That's the gospel that's being bantered about today. No, the gospel here in this Timothy passage is reverently coming to learn how to please God. That's the idea. Look in Colossians 1.10. How to please God. We have, we have knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 9 says. And he says in verse 10, So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Why? Why do we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? To please Him in all respects, which will bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, knowing Him. Bob, I think back quite a few months ago, you, you taught on this passage right here in Colossians 1, didn't you? Isn't where you were at? Wasn't this? Or was it? Oh, no, it's Philippians. But it was along that same lines, that prayer, that people would have the knowledge of God and wisdom and understanding and that they would bear good fruit. But it's all about what? pleasing Him. We exist for one reason, to glorify God and enjoy Him. Having fruit, right? It's not worldly success, but it's pleasing God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Timothy 6, 20. We read it earlier. 
Guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments. What is falsely called knowledge? Profane, unholy, unsacred talk of men. And he calls it empty. Right here in in 2 Timothy 2, he calls it empty. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. It has nothing to it. And then he says it will lead to further ungodliness. They already have ungodliness. You have right doctrine, you will live it right. If you're committed to that doctrine, you will live it. If you have wrong doctrine, your life will live the way that you believe. If it's focused on Christ, then you are heading the right way. But if not, it will spread like gangrene. You don't have to help gangrene to spread. The talk will spread like gangrene. These false teachers never lacked a following. They always can get a following. How do they do that? And they pack buildings with hundreds of... They can have thousands, tens of thousands. They say it must be right because you have that many people following. Jim Jones had hundreds of people following him. It must be right as he had them take the poison, right? You can say, well, these large churches in America, they must there's something right that they're doing. And they help people succeed in the world. And they help people have selfish goals. Don't judge a church how big it is. That be the case? Who are we? Don't judge a church by how many people they have. But judge the church on how sound the doctrine is. Can you trust what the people believe and what is being taught and preached in that church? Can you trust? Because the Word is being exposed. That's how you test it. And then it also this, which is important, that it produces godliness. That people can see that the Word is working in people's lives. We, not, we may not be wide, but my desire is that we are deep. And we're so deep-rooted that we're living a life that represents the godliness, the holiness of God. That's what our desire is, right? We want people to see that wow, those, those guys really are true to God. And so what does Paul say, Timothy? He says they've gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has taken place. He's actually saying, you know, get away from these. They, watch out. And they avoid. I mean, you want to avoid them. And they teach that the resurrection has already taken place. What's that mean? Well, it could mean, uh, and there are different thoughts on this, but I kept reading that this, uh, you know, they, they said there really isn't a resurrection the physical kind of resurrection. It already has happened. When you became a believer, you resurrected. Well, it's true. Spiritually, we we came to life, didn't we? But that's it. Resurrection has already taken place. And that's Gnosticism because that's that's dealing with material. Spiritual realm is what it has. Spiritually, we have arrived. And that's the resurrection. That took place. It could have been. They said, hey, you missed it. They had a resurrection. And, of course, Thessalonians was written. But um, at any rate, whatever it means, 
That means there was a, maybe a spiritual sense and it's been accomplished, some kind of a mystical thing. We don't really know the answer. But, or, or you lived your life and then your child has a life. You live your life in that child. That child then grows up, gets married, has children, and you live through them. And that's a resurrection. Oh, bless. Wow. Great, great news, right? The heart of the Gospel. My goodness, a physical resurrection. That's right. So, whatever. Gnosticism, dualistic view, that kind of thing. They denied the resurrection. We know 1 Corinthians 15, a whole chapter is written about how important it is to realize that we will have physical bodies. And he says those false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus, not going to really go into that very much. Time is ticking. I don't want to get to part two. (laughs) Part two, coming up. Hymenaeus and Philetus. Hymenaeus has already been mentioned uh, to save time. I'll just give you the scripture. If you want to look it up, that's fine. But he was named in 1 Timothy 1.20. And he was one of the ringleaders. Already had been mentioned. He's probably one of the false teaching pastors that was in Ephesus. And Paul himself put him out of the church because of that kind of doctrine. And he probably went on down the street and set up shop there and kept his false teaching going. They don't stop because you come in there and discipline. They uh, will continue. And they get a crowd. That's what I don't understand. Lord, there are other people out there. Why don't you bring them here? He said, why don't you go out and get them? (laughs) But a lot of people don't like what this has to say. So they get teaching for itching ears. And it sounds better and it sure sounds a lot more promising right now. Hymenaeus and Philetus. He names them. Names the names. That's a good thing to know. So Timothy will know who they are. So other people know who they are. And they upset the faith of some. That means there were some had uh, really a non-saving faith. They believed, but they hadn't come all the way over. They come along, give these falsities, and these are unstable souls. Peter talks about them in 2 Peter 3.16. These are people that look like they're believers. Some false teacher comes along in verse 16 of 2 Peter 3, um, as also in all these letters, speaking in them of these things, that's Paul, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable, what do they do? Distort. As they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction, their own ruin. They teach false things. And it's to their own ruin. And so that's what happens. And they destroy other people. So, testing for sound doctrine, does it exalt and honor Christ? When you hear a teaching, does it really exalt Him? Does it honor Him? Does it put Him in His place that He should be scripturally? We should be lifting up God in all of His holiness and majesty. Another uh, second one, does it humble the sinner? When you exalt Christ, you should see yourself as one who sins still yet. It brings the sinner to the foot of the cross. And he realizes that that is only where he has his forgiveness, at the cross. Number three, does it promote holiness? Does it make one live it out to progress in holy living? Okay, part two. Um, We covered most of the verses, but there are two of them we have to finish with here. We, use, we saw the ones who used the Bible for ungodliness. Now we're going to look at the people who use the Bible for godliness. Paul's telling Timothy, use the Bible for godliness. Don't be wrangling with those guys. Here's what you do. 
be diligent to present yourself. I'm in verse 15. Approve to God as a workman. There's our key word for the day. What is our picture this week? The workman. The athlete, the farmer, and on and on. Now we have the workman this week who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately handling. And you know, King James, I used to memorize it this way. And it's actually a good one to memorize. And I'm not saying it's it's a bad translation. Um, study to show thyself approved. I think that's the verse, right? Is that where that's at? Study to show thyself approved unto God. And that's good. I like it. More accurately, and some of your translations will will have that. Mine is a New American Standard. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. And staying with the word there, I think it helps. The word is spudazzo. And I'm not blaming any translations there. Don't, don't, don't take that wrong. I'm just saying I think we can get further understanding if we look at this. Study, okay, that's, that's true. Matter of fact, do it. And, and it's kind of like when you study, you are diligent. So I can see and I can justify that translation. I think it's very good. But I think if we go a little deeper, this, this might carry this even better. Here's a word picture. Be diligent. Spudazzo means to give diligence. It means to give maximum effort. It means to give persistent zeal to this. It means to do your best. It means to be eager. Or it means to study hard, man. <laughs> Have plenty of zeal. It's a labor. And that's what he's been doing all along through in this scripture. If you're an athlete, you work hard. If you are a soldier, you are out there fighting hard, giving every effort. A farmer gives all the effort. He's a hard worker. He labors. And so now, it only makes sense. A workman is one who is diligent. He labors. He has a commitment to excellence. So he gives everything he can to this. A maximum effort. When you give maximum effort, spiritually it can mean going to the point of exhaustion. Checking things out. Commitment to excellence. Charles Spurgeon said this, If any man preach as he should preach God's Word, God's Word will take more out of him than any other work under heaven. Spurgeon, I think, lived to be about 56 years old. Wow. Let me tell you, he did guard the truth. And he had to go against those guys who wrangled about words. He had to go against people who were starting to take things out of Scripture. That it really wasn't all the Word of God. The downgrade controversy that happened with the Baptists in the late 1800s. And Spurgeon took that on. Led him into depression. But he still knew who the joy of the Lord was. Where that came from. But he gave diligence. He said, you preach the Word. It'll take you more out of than any other work under heaven. I know what he means. I get home on Sunday afternoon and man, I get, I am tired. 
But I can't think of any other joyous thing than there is in that kind of work. It's a different kind of tired, but it does. It does. It takes it out of you because you're trying to get everything out of there that you can, and then you try to get everything that you've understood and then produce it to others that they will understand that even further than they've known before, and then we all get blessed. But anyway, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. And a lot of Greek words here. Real briefly, the word there is parastemi. Para means alongside. Stemi means to stand. Oh. Present yourself or stand alongside. Present yourself to Jesus Christ standing alongside Him. You want to be able to stand alongside God. And the picture is like a bride or the bride. Speaking of a bride, she stands with her bridegroom. Right? And it's a personal love that she has for the bridegroom, this bride. A young woman gives herself to a young man in marriage. And in that culture long before there was women's lib, it meant that she was giving herself completely to Him. Everything about her, she's giving. Her devotion is going to be to Him. I know that sounds strange today, but her complete focus was now towards her husband. Of course, you know, just to even us out, the husband also is to be the same way. But they're standing beside there because of uh, His love for her and because of her love for Him, That's just what we get out of the Bible here as it's saying presenting uh, ourselves. Uh, We know He is the bridegroom. We're presenting. We're standing right there with Him in the presence of God. Right? We want to present what we have here. Um, So we want to seek Him. We want to please Him. We want to be available to do His will. And then the next word is approved. Be diligent. Really doing it right to present. We got that. Yourself approved to God. And the word is dakimadzo. If you've heard that word before, that sounds familiar. That means it's a test. The test is intended to show what is real and genuine. You don't do a test of gold so it'll say, hey, everything failed. No, you want to get all the dross off there and what comes out of it is what is pure. Pure silver, pure gold. And that is what is dakimazo. You do the test to show what is real and you get rid of what's not real. And so we're workmen and we are to present ourselves approved or what is genuine to Him as we stand alongside Him. Does that help? Present yourself approved to God. It's a picture of a hard worker. And the hard worker is also standing before his master. He knows that his work is worthy. So we come to that word workman. And that's our picture. That's our illustration. And we are coming really to the close of this because it says, I ran an hour. Well, over. But... Okay, this is where we really wanted to get the workman. And the word is dealing with erge, ergatus. We get our word energy from there. Work, energy, work, workman, energy. You're the carpenter. You work. You're a carpenter who has tools. A carpenter has to have tools. You know what your tool is? 
The Word of God. You are the carpenter. And you have these set of tools. And rather than being sloppy and just nailing things together, some kind of a chicken coop, and it's about ready to fall down, you want to do a decent job because when the inspector comes along, whoever that may be, that he'll approve your work. A carpenter knows that his work will be inspected by a skilled master craftsman. That's what you are. You are a craftsman, a worker. And you will not cut the corners, right? To just get that little shanty thing built. No, you want to be doing it right. The word accurately handling, and I love this word picture, the workman does not need to be ashamed. Anybody who teaches anything that's not accurate is going to be ashamed. You ought to be ashamed. What's the word here? Accurately handling the word of truth. Or, in the King James, what does it say? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing it. And that's a good word for it. Accurately handling. Get the idea? The word is ortho tomeo. When when you think of ortho, what do you think? Straight. An orthodontist? Straightens your teeth. Remember the orthodontist? Ortho. Or the, the back, you know, the bones, straighten your bones. Ugh. Ortho. This is or, ortho tomeo. It means to cut a path. Uh, picture cutting a path for a traveler so they can go through the woods. Uh, cutting a straight line with a saw. You've got, you've got this table you got this chair that you're making, whatever you want. You need straight lines here for the legs and the rest of the table. You cut that. You, you go in the woods, you blaze a trail. You want that to be straight if you can. You go into a rocky, mountainous area. You want to you cut a straight path. Uh, Chrysostom, early church father there, uh, Chrysostom said that it, it means to plow a straight furrow. There's an agricultural term. Straight furrows. You ever seen a garden or out in the fields where the it's plowed like that? I haven't. I've never seen one like that. They're all. You can look down that unless you know you come to some kind of woods or a fence or something. You have to go kind of around like that. But for the most part, though, it's it's straight, right? And, and that that's what it's meant to be. Um, so plow that straight furrow, um, accurately handling, making that word. straight and narrow, accurately handling it. You get the idea? It's the Word of Truth. The Word. This is the absolute truth. wonder what the percentage of an Americans, if they just heard us say that one sentence, would agree with us. This is the Word of Truth. I can guarantee you. If you went out there on the street and you walked up and down the street and all through downtown and wherever, fast food places, and you said that, I can guarantee you most people would be sneering at you or they would be saying something and how narrow you are. They ought to be ashamed. (laughs) Well, we we, we, we go and we finish this and, and I'm telling you, we're on the last verse, verse 19, after he's talked about the other kind of people, the ungodly way to handle the truth. Here's the godly way, and it comes off of verse 15. And so that's why we kind of skipped around here today. 
Nevertheless, okay, the firm foundation of God, we've got to answer what that is. What's the firm foundation? It's the church. It's actually the church here. It's usually Christ is the foundation and such, but um, in this sense, it's talking about His people because it goes on to state in the next statement that I think He clarifies that. It's an immovable foundation. Uh, and He said that the church is not going to be blown away. It has a foundation. It's always going to be here. False teachers can't come in and uproot it no matter what they do, no matter what they say about the Word of God. The false teachers will ruin some people, ruin some souls. They'll shame some. They'll corrupt some. And they'll overturn the faith of some, but not the elect of God. They will never overturn the faith of the elect do you see that? That's a firm foundation he's built. God stands. Look in 1 Timothy 3.15. See if this makes sense. 1 Timothy 3.15 But in case I am delayed, delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. We have the truth here. It's taught here. It's our very foundation. We know it's because of Christ. We know that. But the church is the one that holds the truth. The foundation. The pillar and support. We preach it. We teach it. It's our lives. That's the right foundation, the elect of God. Because, and then we go into verse 19... The foundation of God having this seal, he says, the Lord knows those who are His. Two things here. And then you have the next one. The first one here. Knows those who are His. Salvation starts with God. God brings His people in to His body. He brings His people into the church. They are the elect from the foundation of the world. And He will always have them. That is solid, isn't it? Ephesians 1 4, we'll talk about that. From the foundation of the world, the pillars that he's laid. He gets a quote out of number 16, and all the way back into the Old Testament, Paul uses number 16, verse 5. He spoke to Korah and all his company saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is His and who is holy. He's going to show it. He's going to put it on display who are His. And He will bring him near to Himself. Even the one whom He will choose. He will bring near to Himself. There was Korah's rebellion. There was a plague after that. We saw the remnant, the ones who were true. We saw other people where He takes lives. I'm going to show you who are the ones I chose. That's what Paul chooses to take and put right in here to write to Timothy. He knows who are his. And you can have all the false teaching and all that junk that's coming out there, but I want to tell you, the Lord has His sheep. And He'll protect them. They're not going to buy that kind of stuff. But if possible, even the elect be deceived. 
even at that point. But the elect will not be deceived. He says, if possible, that's impossible. But there will be some, you know, that will be deceived. James one eighteen. In the exercise of His will, in the exercise of His will, this is what His will was, He brought us forth. He caused us to be born again. And by the way, Peter has said that too, where he says He caused us to be born again. James says He brought us forth by the Word of truth. That's how it happened. You might have known some things about the Gospel, but when you were born again, He used the Word of Truth on you. He brought somebody to bring that to you so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. That reminds us of the Lord's Supper. He is the first fruit, isn't it? But we are the first fruits that... We will be approved unto Him as we use this Bible... I'm bringing this to fruition now, right? Application. As we use this Bible to grow, to grow in godliness, that's our purpose. We go in here to know who God is, we see who we are, and then we can say, I want Him to change me more. And that's desiring godliness. Are you growing as a craftsman? Are you growing as a worker? That's what the picture is today. I think it's very graphic, isn't it? That's what we looked at, the workman. Have you been accurately handling the Word of God because you know it? It's right here. It's the Word of Truth, God's Word of Truth. Handling it accurately. Handling it skillfully so that you would grow in godliness. Having it for your own life. If you misuse the Bible, if we do that, it will lead us to ruin. But if we use it correctly, knowing who God is, and letting it change our lives, and then letting it be seen, and letting it be heard to other people, you know what? That leads us to further godliness. Let's pray. Father, what a word of truth You've given us. It is very comforting to know this is the word. The word that comes from You. And... It kind of explains why there's so many crazy teachings and doctrines in inside the church and outside the church and going into cults and then also the other religions, the Eastern religions and everything. But we know this word here is very straight and narrow. There's only one way. We are convinced of that. We confess that. We remind each other of that because it helps us to stay on the straight and narrow. Help us to grow. Help us to use this text right here today, Lord. Help us to use this to understand You, to understand ourselves and how we are to be changed to the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you.